0: Hello there and welcome back to Beats by Social Work. I'm Kristen. And I'm Tiffany, your host for the show. We're so glad you came back. And for those who are tuning in for the first time, check out episode one to learn more about who we are. But a brief summary, we are both certified clinical transplant social workers who specialize in all things heart transplant and LVAD, also known as left ventricular assist device.
1: Our goal is to talk all the things transplant and bad, from the social work perspective and to bring the human element back into the world of transplant for our fellow social workers and our patients,
0: as well as professionals who may stumble in. As a reminder, we are social workers, but we are not your social worker. So we hope topics discussed here will lead you to further discussions within your own transplant team. Hello Beats by Social Work listeners, this is Kristen and this is Tiffany. So we are doing an offbeat episode this time because we are fully utilizing our time in the same zip code to get as much content out there to you as possible. I know, but Tiffany here does not know what we are uh, going to do, what is in store for us. I am going to hold the idea hostage and Tiffany has just got to buckle up and hope to God that she can keep up.
1: Oh man. As an Enneagram six, which I regretfully and remorsefully say that I am, <laughs> that kills my soul a little bit, but I'm here for it because I also love to be a spontaneous. I'm a contra, I'm a walking contraindication.
0: Good. Good. Because contradiction,
1: I, not indication.
0: I, I mean, if you're contraindicated for transplant, we can talk about that in another episode. No, no walking contradiction. Okay. And I'm an Enneagram one. And so I'll be ruminating over this conversation later with my inner critic. And so if you don't know what the Enneagram is, I suggest you look it up and then take your quiz online. We would love to hear what you are as your Enneagram number. So this is what I have in store for us, Tiffany. I have Googled a hundred questions to ask on a first date. And I am going to reword the questions so that they pertain to social work instead of a first date. Huh. Are you ready?
1: (laughs) Well, it's a good thing I put my invisible sunglasses on. Yes. it makes me invisible.
0: Or (laughs) the sun never
1: sets on a badass. I don't know. I don't know.
0: I don't think the sun ever sets on a badass. So what is your favorite memory of social work?
1: Oh, that's a hard one.
0: Yeah, it's the first one. I can't change it.
1: Yeah. Well, okay then. First memory, like... Repeat the question one more time.
0: What is your favorite memory of social work?
1: Favorite, not first. As
0: a social worker. Okay, favorite, But it was the first, first question.
1: Sure. So I heard first memory of a social worker, and that's going to be a completely different answer. Favorite memory as a social worker. I think, okay, this is going to be corny, but I think it has been those times where I have worked with a patient and the things that I have done with them. I've actually watched them grow and actually watched them become, I don't know, do the work essentially. And then they're repeating things back to me that I've taught to them. And I don't need to sit there and say to them, Oh, I taught you that. It's more of like just, just that pride of watching them grow as an individual.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree with you because we call it aha moments, right? Mm-hmm. We all have them, but When you're the objective third party and you're helping unravel a story, unravel what's going on there in the behind the scenes, and you get more and more clues to why someone is the way that they are. And then you kind of, you kind of help unravel that or untangle it. And then you see that aha moment. It truly is one of those glimmers. It's magical. So I think that's wonderful. All right, so I'm going to hand in the list of questions to you. You pick a question, but you have to reframe it to social work, not first date.
1: I like it. Okay, that is definitely not an appropriate one for social work. Um, so let me just look through this questionnaire real quick. The time okay. is ticking. You can't What's your it. favorite activity
0: to do as a social worker? Ooh, okay. Favorite activity to do as a social worker um i would say favorite activity to do as a social worker is presentations and yeah. the reason being is i mean i'm kind of embarrassed to say that out loud because i don't want it to come across as you know like arrogant or egocentric because that's not that's not the intention i think that any opportunity that we have as social workers to promote the profession to mitigate stereotypes because how many times do we have people that we say, oh, yeah, I'm a social worker, and they say, oh, you must work with children. Do you take uh-huh. kids away from families? Or There's so much more to our profession, and especially when it comes to research, macro level. So I would say that giving presentations to audiences that may not otherwise be exposed mm-hmm. to realms of social work that we are involved in.
1: I agree. I, I like that answer. And you know what? I appreciate that answer. Because it is not your typical, I like doing therapy or this or that. It, it truly is. It's highlighting the work that we do and getting the word out there about what we can do
0: mm-hmm. as social
1: workers. So good answer. I like it. I like yeah. it a lot.
0: Nice. Okay. And so when you hang out with friends, do you feel like social work and your job is your priority or your friends are your priority? Oh,
1: That is a good one. Am I hanging out with my social work friends or am I hanging out with my non-social work friends? Am I hanging out with my transplant friends or my non-transplant friends?
0: Good question. That is
1: the question. I think, you know, one of the things for me is um, connection Mm -hmm. is a very important. And so my friends are a priority now. Friends, priority, end all, be all. But when we say that, it's sometimes when you are enthralled in the work, the work is my priority. And so my friends have gotten to know that. Yeah. If I am at work, I may not respond to you. I may not be able to text you through the day. I may. I may send you a meme here or there, and that's when you know, like, I'm having kind of a day that Mm -hmm. I need to take a step back. However, my friends also know that if it's a true emergency – I will, that is the one and only time, my friends and family, that I will drop whatever I'm doing to go handle that situation. Mm-hmm. So I guess my answer is kind of, it's a 50-50. Mm-hmm. My friends are are the most important thing to me. My family is the most important thing to me. But work is also important. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's those crisis moments that change the priority, just like with our work that we do on the day-to-day, right? Our priorities yeah. change based on what the need is. So I'll say my priorities change based on what the need is.
0: Okay. I guess it's my turn.
1: Okay. Um, so, oh, I like this one. <laughs> what do you want to do when you retire?
0: Oh my gosh. Someone actually asked me this just the other day, They but they asked it differently. They said if money was no object, what would you do? Mm-mm. No, no. This is very specific that I want it to be when you retire because I think it's a
1: very pertinent question to social workers. What do you do when you retire from social work?
0: Well. Or your nah, your current role? Well, I would say my answer is the same to the question that was asked of me earlier this week in terms of if money was no object, what would you do? My answer is still the same. So I would, if I was retired, I love what I do. I love working with people and I don't think I would ever stop that until my health or something logistical outside of my control forced me to stop that. So I would probably do private practice therapy or something along those lines, but on a part-time basis and uh, travel, Uh, have a cabin in the woods and have chickens and (laughs) fish in the stream and I would be one of those weird semi off gridders that does not live in the city or near a city, but still has really good access to the internet and can um, do online sessions with clients. So that is my retirement plan. Huh. Okay. Interesting. I can't fully quit the profession. I can't fully retire from the profession, but I can adjust the demands of it.
1: Okay. Fair, fair.
0: Okay. All right. uh, It's my turn. What is your, uh, oh, we already asked that one. Wow. They repeat these quite a bit. mm -hmm. Did you ever consider a totally different career path?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yes. Honestly, I did not. So mm, how far back do I want to go? I I, uh, went to undergrad for elementary education.
0: Wow.
1: I wanted to be an elementary school teacher. What great! I went as far as going through observation. So not student teaching, but I did the observation part of like observing and having to mentor a student um, one-on-one as part of that. And what I realized is I didn't feel personally I could be as impactful for a whole class versus doing the more one-on-one. And so that's what... I. I had wanted to be a, uh, I thought about helping people my whole life. I always used to say I wanted to be a doctor. Specifically, I wanted to be a pediatric doctor. Mm. So I wanted to be a pediatric doctor, that I wanted to help people, that I wanted to be an a elementary school teacher. And then I realized I wanted the one-on-one, and I also realized I wanted to do adults. I mm. wanted to work with adults. Um, I, I love children, surprisingly to some people who meet me. Um, I really do, but I feel I can be the most impactful to the adults that maybe didn't have the opportunity to have the influences in their life and that's impacted them. And so going through different situations, and that's where insert medical social work because it's also the medical component. So I didn't become a doctor, but I'm still involved in the medical piece. Okay. Now, if you want to say something completely different on that, I would love to be a funeral director.
0: Yes. I, <laughs> I know that we've talked about this, especially because TikTok has so many different like avenues in regards to funeral TikTok or death and dying TikTok, which is very interesting for those of you who have not experienced it. But I'm going to cut in line. May I cut in line? You may cut in line. There's a second question that I saw in here that was really good. Oh,
1: that's not fair because I saw a question previously that I thought was really good. But go ahead. You all cut right. in line and then I'll ask mine.
0: Good. When is the angriest you have ever felt as a social worker?
1: Oh, <sighs> that's a really good question.
0: I know. That's why I had to cut in line. And I
1: also <laughs> want to have you respond after I do.
0: Because okay. I think
1: that's important for all of us because I think that... There's an anger within the field as a whole
0: yeah. at certain
1: points. And I think the angriest that I have felt is when I was helpless. Yes. When I have done everything that I could to help a patient, but either A, the, the system mm-hmm. as a whole is broken and it was out of my control, or B, the patient didn't want to help himself. Mm-hmm. And as much as you do, it's that old homage, you can bring a horse to water, but you cannot make it drink. Mm-hmm. You can provide... The support, the resources, but if the patient is not in the headspace to want to make that change, I mean, we can go into change theory in that process and and in this discussion, if the patient is not even at pre-contemplation stage,
0: or change to them looks different than it, it looks it, for us, it,
1: exactly, and it is, you feel helpless in that moment because you know yeah. you know or you you think you know. What is best for them? And I rephrase that specifically and directly because, as you said, change looks different as well as success looks different mm-hmm. to each individual. And so we could be hitting our heads against a wall saying, I want the patient to do this, and that doesn't look the same for them. And I think to bring it back into transplant and, and LVAD, is like success after implant, success after transplant looks different. What the team's version of success, it could be different than what the patient's version of success. And by putting that on the patient sometimes can also lead to this internal struggle.
0: Yeah. So my turn, your turn. Okay. What makes me angriest as a social worker is, um, I'm trying to think of a good way to word this. Honestly. Um, I would say that I go along the same theme that you do of the, of the feeling of helplessness. The big thing that I become very angry about is twofold one, but it it all kind of wraps into the same fundamental concept. When we, when social workers, especially in the world of transplant and LVAD, when social workers and their, clinical skill set, their education level, what they bring to the table is gaslit, minimized, bullied, or just outright ignored by the rest of the medical team specifically. And I'm sorry to say, because there are a lot of physicians I love, but there are a lot of physicians that I have been bullied by. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, and that is unfortunately the reality of what we do. And I have had physicians say very, very harsh comments. Uh, one that comes to mind in particular is when I said that a patient did not have the resources to, um, in order to cope with an LVAD, in order to successfully live with an LVAD. And I unfortunately have to consider them high risk from a psychosocial standpoint. The physician looked at me and said, So you want to put a pillow over his head and suffocate him to death? Oh, man. And kill him. Ugh. And I was new in the profession at that time and I struggled with that. But now I'm in a place where I get angry at those kind of comments. And I think. Well, That why, how can you say that to me? And I cannot say that to you. I'm just as much of a requirement to the program as you are. And I understand that my role is not as profound as you. I understand. Mm.
1: I want to stop you there. Mm. Okay. I'm sorry. I have to interrupt. No, I'm glad you do. But when you say that you understand that your role is not as profound as theirs, I'd have to disagree.
0: Not as profound in certain capacities.
1: Because I, I think it does. Yes, they are life. We cannot do what they do. Right. We absolutely. can't. I'm not here to try to pretend we can't. We,
0: I can't we intubate a patient. Even, we yeah. couldn't even
1: be here without the physicians, without the nurses. Right. We could not. Absolutely. I mean, they, they are brilliant in the things that they do. They are literally saving lives. Mm-hmm. But we save lives as well. And I think that when we minimize that part of it, yeah. It also minimizes and undervalues our profession that we are so much trying to elevate. Right. It goes back to, we've said this before, the cog and the machine, right? They may be the bigger pieces of the machine. They mm-hmm. may be the more prominent pieces of the machine that people look at and say, Yeah, without without that, it's absolutely not gonna work. Well, we'll take an engine of a car. Take the engine. Mm-hmm. The engine's not there, the car's not going to go. Mm-hmm. You take the transmission. Yeah, your car is pretty much totaled mm-hmm. without the trans, right? But we are also s- those pieces that are kind of putting them together. And if mm-hmm. you take those out, the car doesn't work. If you take out your brake pads, car doesn't work. Mm-hmm. If you take out the grease, the the, the the pieces that you don't recognize that are part of that engine mm-hmm. that have to go into it, the nuts, the bolts of that engine, right? We're kind of like the nuts and the bolts engine is the piece. It doesn't run without it, but the engine doesn't, isn't secure without the nuts and bolts.
0: But then, so that's what I'll say. Yeah. But then I'll carry it on a little further. And then what ends up happening is we present these risk factors. We have patients who we see the likelihood of suffering after transplant or after an LVAD. That's not to say that they will be They will be the 1% that given the circumstances that they will thrive and be successful. There's still always that potential for hope. But even despite presenting all the barriers, despite presenting all the risk factors give, and utilizing an evidence-based approach, we're often bullied, gaslit, or outright ignored. But then what ends up happening in some of these patient situations, then we have patients who actually do end up down the road of suffering and struggling to cope and and exacerbating mental illness and exacerbating those risk factors and lack of community resources and then the physicians the same ones who said that all of those things to us upon presentation they then turn around and say well didn't you see this coming mhm why didn't you present this did you indicate this in your assessment so
1: i okay I love that we are going there mm-hmm. because that is such a big part of this. And especially I think for new social workers and I'll get to another question, but I think I, I just want to take this and that's yeah. what we can do in the offbeat episodes. right?
0: <laughs> exactly. Um,
1: especially when we think about new social workers in that aspect of, yeah, uh, well, this is what the team wants, or this is, I have to kind of, I don't want to say bow down,
0: later and approach. I have, to,
1: I have to change my perspective on the situation to tailor to what the team wants. Mm-hmm. Right? But we are utilizing our clinical skills. And I think that is where I struggle and I am on such a mission. Mm-hmm. We cannot take somebody's blood and put it into a machine and get lab values. We can't. Mm-hmm. Our work is not that. Mm-hmm. But our work is such that we are taking a person's information their history and we are putting it within our social work theories within our intervention plans and we are identifying risk factors Mm -hmm. and then developing interventions for risk mitigation Mm -hmm. so we don't have that clinical piece of data Mm -hmm. but we do have that clinical skill set piece and that is so again under recognized and it's two parts. It's our fault too. Uh, fault. That's a that's a big word. It is us of saying and and playing into that role. Just like when we think about roles within a family, mm-hmm. right? We play into being the youngest child, or we play into being the child versus the parent instead of the. When we get to a certain age where we are able to have regular conversations, the we golden into, child
0: versus the hero versus right? the... yeah, or,
1: or even having a conversation with your parents aunts, uncles, whatever it might be, Mm -hmm. that you are no longer that child that you once were. Mm -hmm. Respect your elders, true, but you can have a conversation. You don't have to always regress to that role. It's really super hard. But it's the same in this context of we need to stand up for the work, but we also have to make sure that we have the skill set to do so yeah don't just say well i went to social work school i'm a social worker listen to me you have to have and that's where continuing education that's where continuing to review articles or podcasts or things of that nature are so important but that's what's going to give you that fuel to continue that fire to continue to step up and say well according to this theory according to the latest studies according to the community of social workers this Mm -hmm. is best practice The magical
0: word. What I'll add to that too is, uh, and and for clarification for listeners, when we are talking about presentation to the medical review board, at the end of the day, there the decision does not fall on one individual. No. And I think that's worth bringing up as well is because there have been certain circumstances where there was significant contraindications for transplant or LVAD because of social work and psychosocial risk factors. Uh, examples of that is, you know, could be, and it's also based on your, the program and the guidelines of the program, things like that. But lack of caregiver support, lack of adequate housing, active substance use, active psychiatric illness—there's all different things that could be could indicate a contraindication. At the end of the day, the decision falls to the medical review board, and so we can give those risks, we can we can provide the risk, but the decision falls to the board. Where I get angry is when the board tries or physicians within that setting try to change our answer. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because I'm okay with you saying, yes, I have factored in your risk factors into equation. I have taken what you said into consideration. Given that and all of the other information to place, the board has decided as a whole, we will continue to proceed. That is extremely different than... Did you as the social worker work hard enough for a care plan? Did you as the social worker work hard enough to get them better insurance? Did you as the social worker think about this, this, this and this? Did you factor in their culture? Is that something you may have considered? But when we're questioned and gaslit and there's all these things and we're and sometimes especially social workers that are new into the profession are made to feel so small and so helpless, and that's where I get angry.
1: Mm-hmm. Ah, it's true. And I think though, something I want to point out in all of it, and I want to reiterate what you said, it is a group decision. Yeah. And it can feel very difficult because you feel like you were the one that made the decision, but it is not on you. Just mm-hmm. like it is not on the surgeon. I love to say it's like this this Venn diagram that I've, I've created. And I actually have created a visual to show to my medical team. Um, but I explain it to patients in the same way. And I always use the hand gestures. You can't see me listeners, but I'm using my hand gestures now.
0: Yes, she Um, is.
1: You have your bubbles, right? You have your medical, your surgical, and your psychosocial. Mm -hmm. And your patient is, should be in the middle of all of that. Red flags can be in any one of those bubbles. Right. And any one of those bubbles could outweigh certain things. Right. Mm -hmm. But all of those are so important and all of those are part of the team. And so it is a team discussion. You are presenting the facts. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the important thing to note too, as these new social workers, especially, or even as these seasoned ones who have continued to be gaslit and continue to be beat down or continue to feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, you are presenting the facts and you have to remember that you following your code of standards, Mm -hmm. you are following your code of ethics, you are following your guidelines set out by your institution As what the social worker's role is within the transplant, because Mm -hmm. each institution should have a set of guidelines. Um, CMS looks at those to determine if you are meeting them, right? And so it is one of those aspects of you have to remind yourself you have done the evaluation Mm -hmm. to gather the information to present the facts. Mm-hmm. and then the team as a whole has a discussion with those facts to determine what the end outcome is mm-hmm. and if it is you are Ooh, this is not the greatest of candidates but everybody wants to proceed then it's also you that has to help determine how you can still provide the best opportunity and success and success again is different for every individual mm-hmm. and so you're now working in in that context so it goes into a selection conference discussion. And I think, or MRB or uh, multidisciplinary review board, every institution may call it a little something different. Mm-hmm. I think that's all, uh, you know, write that topic down. That's something that we should discuss <laughs> in the future, but it's, uh, it's such an important thing. And I think that brings me into one of these questions that I have on your handy dandy list here, Kristen. Okay. Um. Because they're, the one that I wanted to ask, I want to I want to change it up and you moved the question. So where I was, I can't find it, Uh but um, where did it go of when you wake up in the middle of the night? What do you think about what keeps you awake as a social worker?
0: And I think that's, What makes me so angry about when those comments are made to me in the medical review board? Did you think of this? Did you think of this? Did you call all the family members? Did you do all of these things? Because you know, if you didn't do it, the patient's going to die. And what they don't realize is that that is what keeps me up at night. Did I call this family member? I did. Did I call them enough times? Yes, they didn't answer. They didn't call me back. Did I email them? Did I track down their email address? how far is too far? Did I go ask the patient again? did I, was I thorough enough? I go over every little tiny detail. And so then to walk into the medical review board or selection committee meeting and have that same inner critic voice that keeps me up at night at two in the morning being redirected right back at me from the physician's mouths is exactly what makes that upsetting and angry and difficult So it's not an easy conversation to have, much less to post this as a podcast. But I think it's worth us talking about because Mm -hmm. that's the other part about this profession is social workers a lot of times feel alone. You may be the only social worker in the entire program going, oh my gosh, do I, am I the only one that feels this way? Mm -hmm. And the reality is no, Mm -hmm. this is very much a part of this field of social work and it's not talked about.
1: I agree. And I think that even if you're not the only social worker in your profession, Um, or or in your organization, even if you have a few of colleagues, sometimes it can be even hard to talk about with them. Mm -hmm. Um, Or or there's differences of opinions, and it's hard to talk about, well, how come you thought that, and I thought this, right? And there's some some discussions that can occur even within your own colleagues that you're thinking and replaying and Mm -hmm. wondering, why did they think that and I didn't? Or why did I think that and they didn't, mm-hmm. right? And I think it's also um, bringing up HIPAA as a whole too. Yeah. And where we aren't, even even in our field of social work, I mean, even in, in professional calls that we have and video conferences and going to conferences and all of this, we can talk about situations, but we can't give all the details necessarily to
0: process it. Alternatively, like a person who's an accountant can be like me or a salesperson can say, man, I really missed out on this sale. And I was, I had a hard time with that. And this is sucks. And my boss reamed me out, blah, 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 blah. We can't necessarily process our type of work over happy hour with friends like the way that someone in a different profession can mm-hmm. because of the sensitivity of what we work with. So we carry this load and then we don't have a way to process it at This in the same capacity as other professionals. It's
1: true. And it goes back to your first question, I believe, that you asked me mm-hmm. of the friend's priority things like that. And right. and oftentimes why sometimes we are drawn to individuals that are of like mind and or become friends with people within our, our multidisciplinary group even. Yeah. And going out and, and as much as I try sometimes I'm like, okay, Tiffany, we're not going to talk about work. We're not going to go down that route. Let's just be fun and free. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, Oh, Mr. So-and-so the other day. And I'm like, yes, he did. And I'm, I can't help myself, but, but it's an opportunity that someone is, is opening that door to say, it's okay, let's talk about this a little bit. Mm-hmm. And with your multidisciplinary team, sometimes though they're looking at it from different aspects, it's kind of your own opportunity to talk about it. But then I often myself feel, am I taking over the conversation? Because we get to know these patients so much more than mm-hmm. the other. I mean, some of the multidisciplinary members know the patient based on what our assessment is. Mm-hmm. And learn more about how to even work with that patient based on our assessment. i was I was recently talking to a group of multidisciplinary, specifically nurse coordinators and how they can use the psychosocial to their advantage mm-hmm. and how they can use that within that um, even even their learning style. We learn about the patient's cognitive abilities, mm-hmm. their their educational difficulties. You know, in school, did you have any learning disabilities? And that can be hard to say, mm-hmm. especially if you've worked so hard and now you are a thriving adult, but like, yes, I'm dyslexic perhaps to one person. There's no shame in that. There shouldn't be, but it's okay. One thing I've learned, I actually learned this from a patient, individuals with dyslexia. If you put it on orange paper, it helps them. Oh, interesting. And so it's thinking, okay, if you're dyslexic, well, Hey, nurse coordinators, can we print the AVS? Can we print the instructions on orange paper? And see if it helps. And see if it helps, mm-hmm. right? But um, I digress all the way around on that. Of it's it's tough, and that's why I think it, it it can be a very isolating profession. It can be a very robust profession because we talk about it's social work. It's social,
0: right? Yeah. It's, the,
1: the study of people. Yeah. But you're not allowed to talk about it. Yeah. The specifics. And so sometimes when you find someone that is like minded too. You can nerd all the way out, (laughs) Uh, you know? I mean, let's, let's be honest with, with our listeners. Even we were watching what, a comedy episode one time together and we had to stop and pause and rewind because we were diagnosing and analyzing and assessing the comic.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Because
1: they were talking about mental health, not because we just judge or diagnose anybody that's walking by us.
0: No, they were talking about mental health. But it, it was a, a way to digress and unpack the what we were watching. But yeah, no, I, I loved this. I loved this conversation. And um, listeners, let us know if this is something that you want us to keep up. I yeah. have the link to the 100 first date questions, and we will happily reframe them for social work and see where it gets us. But I like it. And actually, look into our Instagram, because I think we should
1: post a couple of the questions we asked today.
0: Yeah, I so, like that. Beats
1: by SW Podcast is our Instagram handle, friends, family,
0: foes. All of the above. Probably not physicians, but that's me being ugly. Hey,
1: no. I I know we have some physicians that follow. Yay.
0: Thank you to the physician leader uh, listeners that we have on today. We
1: appreciate you because we couldn't do what we do without you either. Please don't take it as that. But- Yes, like, subscribe. We're being all the sorts of basic right now. Like, subscribe, (laughs) review. We love it. We want to hear from you, though, for real. That is why we do this. We say this all the time. We say this almost every episode as we end. But the goal that we have, we did this not because Kristen and I sit here and think that we are the experts in the field. Right, because we're not. We did this because we are very like-minded people, as we found.
0: And can't shut up.
1: And can't shut up and get on our soapboxes and said, if it doesn't exist, let's do it. So here we are here. We want to hear from you because together we are better together. We are stronger.
0: All right. Have a good one and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. The information shared on this podcast comes from two certified clinical transplant and mechanical circulatory support social workers. The views and opinions expressed are our own and not affiliated with any specific institution or organization to the community of transplant and MCS Social Work at large.
1: Beats by Social Work, Tiffany and Kristen, and affiliated guests and programs expressly disclaim any responsibility and shall have no liability for any damages, loss, injury, or liability whatsoever suffered as a result of your reliance on the information contained in this podcast or in any media. And none of the persons and entities noted above endorse specifically any tests, treatment, or procedures
0: mentioned on the show. Our goal is to provide you with the most accurate information in the most respectful way. However, we are human and we ask for grace and accountability. If we say something you feel is incorrect or inappropriate, please tell us so we can correct ourselves and work to be better. Do
1: not ignore inaccuracies or hold your feelings in. The only way to learn and ensure we do not make the same mistakes twice is to be made aware. That being said, our goal is to share information and to connect with our audience. But this is a new concept and we may fall short at times. So please be patient and respectful when you do call us out.